So if you're in the room, uh, you can raise your hand. For those of you that are joining us online, you can uh, give us a thumbs up and let us know. But uh, how many of you have ever purchased a treadmill, a piece of exercise equipment, joined a health club, or read at least part of a book on a diet? If you've done any of those things, just go ahead, own it, raise your hands. All right, yeah, and the rest of you, you're, not, you're lying. So uh, all of us have done this. This is all of us. Now, the interesting thing is, is if you could go back in time to that moment where you were touring that health club, you know, like, hey, here's the pool, here's the locker room, uh, here's all the exercise stuff, the gazillion treadmills and all the ellipticals with the built-in TVs to help distract you from the pain and suffering that is going to happen to you, uh, you know, or they delivered that treadmill or that exercise equipment to your home, they set it up in your house, or maybe you got that book and you're like highlighting and you're making notes and if you're a parent, you're starting to clean out the cupboards and the kids are going, what are we going to eat, you know, and they're all worried and, you know, And you have, uh, some of you, you've had all of these experiences, but you've had at least one of them. Do you know what you felt in that moment? You felt somehow healthier, right? I I mean, I did. Suddenly, like there's a treadmill or there's a piece of exercise equipment in your home, and your house, and you're just like, "I, I just feel healthier having this in here. Or you finished touring that facility and you looked at all this amazing equipment and you're just like, I think I got a thousand steps just looking at this stuff. Like I'm already better off. And, uh, or there's, uh, you, you go out and some of you have gotten exercise clothes and you put them on and you step and you look in the mirror and you're like, I already look thinner. It's just like, well, it's because it's, it's tighter and it's compressing the squish. But uh, it's just you like felt better. You just felt healthier. But were you healthier at that point? Not a trick question. No, I mean, you weren't. You weren't any healthier because joining a health club doesn't make you any healthier. Reading and taking notes from a book on nutrition does not make you any healthier. Buying exercise equipment does not make you any healthier. Application is what makes all the difference. Or think back, for those of you, that there's been a time that you're going to paint the interior or the exterior of your home. And uh, you go out and you just buy all that stuff and all the gallons and gallons of paint and the brushes and the rollers and all supplies and you get it home and you get it into your house or you get it into your garage. Did your house look any better at that point? No, it, it didn't because unapplied paint doesn't make your house look any better. Uh, but the interesting thing is we get that. And yet, spiritually, when it comes to the faith world, faith world, there's this similar dynamic that for generations, there's been large segments of Christianity uh, where Christianity has been reduced to if I read, if I know, if I believe the right stuff, and if I go to church once in a while, then that is enough. But what's true about our physical development and our physical health, and when it comes to exercise and nutrition, when it comes to home improvement projects, the same is true when it comes to our spiritual development, that application is what makes all the difference. And that's why I never really do sermons, and you'll really never hear a sermon around here where it's just about learning stuff, though I love to learn. I love to read. I love to love books and teachers and communicators that really know their stuff, who are able to just dig in and unpack all the nuances of the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek and all the historical context and all how how these nuances and context affect the meaning and understanding of a passage or a person. It's just all so rich and it just adds depth. And I think every single one of you 
should do that, especially with all of the resources that we have right at our fingertips to be able to dig in and learn with this wealth of material. But just so you are aware, my strategy is the same every single week. Then the few minutes that I have with you and what we do with kids in the other rooms as we pour into the next generation, our strategy every weekend is to draw out one big idea from Jesus or from Scripture and then give you the ability or equip you to actually apply it to your day-to-day life. And I do that because when you apply truth, when you and I apply a biblical principle, or you or I obey Jesus or obey our Heavenly Father, uh, our obedience intersects with God and with God's Spirit and His faithfulness, and it results in something, something happening on the inside of us. And you grow, and you transform, and you make progress in multiple areas of your life and in the relationships that matter the most to you, that you want to be successful in. And that is what drives me every single weekend. That is what has kept me going over the last months that have been so exhausting for all of us, is for that you would experience progress in your spiritual growth and in your life and in your relationships, in every area of relationship. And, and because we want to be a light in our community with each other and within the community at large in which we live. So we're doing this series, which is just unapologetically life apps. It's all about application. We're talking about six very important life applications for those of us that follow Jesus. But for those of you, uh, of you that might say, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. I, I'm not really following Jesus yet. My, my hope is that you would try these as well, that in doing so, that you would actually come to discover that Jesus really was who He said He was and that you would fully entrust your life, this life, and the life to come into his hands, and that the end of the one who predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection. But these are six things that as Christians, as a, if you're a Jesus follower, that we are called and commanded not just to know, but to do. That part of calling Jesus Lord, part of calling him boss, the number one shot caller in our life, is to do these things. The first one that we talked about was to forgive, that forgiven people forgive. And then we talked about confess. That was a hard one. That genuine confession leads to genuine change. Then we talked about focus because focusing on Jesus shows us how to get through the worst to get to the ultimate best. And then we talked about rest because it is crucial for us and that life moves to a better place when we move, when we operate and live at a sustainable pace. And if you missed any of those, you owe it yourself to yourself to go back to watch or listen to those. Because today I want to talk about the life app of trust. But not trust between you and God or me and God, but you and I with each other in relationship with people. Trust in your home, trust with people at your work, trust with your friends, and maybe even with those in government or those that have different political views from you. And these verses that we're going to look at, they're really honestly the kind that you kind of read through really quickly because if you have had any time in church, you've heard these verses a thousand times. And we just keep on going partly because we don't really understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. But these four little phrases the Apostle Paul uh, gives us, draws us to this extremely important idea and value of trust. Now, what we all know is that your relationships and my relationships, whether it's your relationships at home or at work with your family, whatever, your relationships are no stronger than the level of trust 
present in those relationships, right? Like, like we get this. We all know this from experience. Trust is the, the bedrock to any and every relationship because if you can't trust, if you don't know how to trust, if you're not willing to take some risk when it comes to trusting someone else, you will never ever fully engage someone. I mean, there's always going to be an invisible wall up between you and that person. Uh, the, the relationship will always be surface, and there's always going to be something lacking. Now, before we look at, at the passage that we're going to talk about, let's just acknowledge a big problem and why this matters and why this is important enough to take about 20-some minutes talking about, and it's this. The fact is that many of us struggle to trust especially the older we get. Because the longer you live, the more experiences that you and I have with people who ultimately let us down. We experience people not doing what they said they would, not following through on what they said they would follow through or they promised or committed to do. Or maybe they lied to us. Maybe they deceived us. Maybe they even betrayed us. And when we experience that, especially when we begin to experience that more and more the longer we live, it makes it hard for you to trust. But the other thing that can make it hard for you to trust is you grew up in a specific family. Okay, you grew up in a home with a certain set of parents or with a certain parent and you had a bad experience maybe with your mom or your dad or maybe both parents, maybe with a sibling. You had a bad experience with uh, maybe in your marriage or with an ex-husband, or with an ex-wife. You had someone in your life that you should have been able to trust, and yet somehow they violated that trust, maybe in a significant and very painful way. Or maybe it was your former job. Maybe you had a bad experience in, in your job or your former career. And what happens is over time, something happens in our heart. Something begins to change. And increasingly, you learn not to trust. You just learn not to trust. And, and just so you know, I, I kind of fit in that category. I have to battle that because of personal and vocational experiences that I've had in my life, some that were very painful. If left unchecked, my default mode is I'm going to let you get this close, but no closer. Okay? But see, I don't like that about me. But, and it's always a work in progress. In fact, some weeks ago, I initiated beginning to meet with three other men, and we've been working really hard with our different jobs and schedules to be able to make that work consistently. But one of the things that I told them, I said, guys, just know up front, like, I, I got walls. Like, like, I don't like it, but they're there. I'm acknowledging up front. In fact, part of the exercise we've been going through is to slowly work through to get to know each other, to get to where we can trust each other and begin to remo remove bricks from those walls. So this specific life app is very personal to me, and I know that it is very personal to some of you. So you need to pay attention because this is going to help you. Now, if you want to follow along, uh, if you have your Bible or Bible app, we're in one of the most famous chapters of the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For those of you who grew up in church, 1 Corinthians 13 is sometimes referred to as the what chapter? The love chapter. That's right, the love chapter. So uh, in this text, Paul is doing his best to explain what true Jesus love lived out actually looks like. And at the very end, he bumps into this issue of trust. Now again, for most of us, you've heard it a thousand times. It was probably uh, at your wedding, especially if I did it. Uh, love is patient. 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Like, oh, really? Like some of you are married to somebody with a file cabinet, right? Or they got like 10 terabytes of cloud storage. It's like, hold on a moment. All right, May 13th, 2009, you said this. You did this. You dropped the ball. Remember that? Okay, real love does not have a file cabinet or cloud storage. It doesn't even have a post-it note. Okay, real love keeps no record of wrongs. Also, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. And this is just general evil, general truth. In other words, love isn't trying to catch somebody doing something wrong. You ever know somebody like that? You may be in a relationship, don't point to them. Uh, but it's, it's like they're just like, like they just delight in catching you doing something wrong. Like, aha, I knew you were going to do that. Or I knew you were going to drop the ball, or I just knew that you were going to be late, or I knew you were going to mess up, or knew you weren't going to follow through. I just knew you'd let me down. I'm just waiting to catch you doing the wrong thing. He says that is not how love operates. True love is constantly watching for something, but it's to catch someone doing good and then celebrate it. And then he gives us four quick phrases that all point to this one idea of trust, that love always protects, and then here's our word, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if you're like me, the first question is, always? It always protects? It, it, it always trusts? It always hopes? It always perseveres? Not in my experience. Paul's saying, no, 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 listen, real love, real love, the love that Jesus demonstrated and calls us to, that love bends, it leans into. Love is always looking for an opportunity to give the other person the benefit of the doubt. It's always trying to protect the integrity of the relationship. Even if you have a lot, if you're the one carrying most of the work in the relationship, it's I'm going to do everything I possibly can to trust Always hope, to never give up, to always persevere. Another translation of this text says it this way. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. And some of us can relate to that. Like loving this person, like it's enduring. That's what my wife feels about me. So here's what Paul is saying about love as it relates to trust. Here's, here's three statements, and I just want to warn you up front some of you, you're going to push back when I tell you these statements because of an experience or experiences in your life. So I just want to simply ask you this. I just simply want you to flip it, and I want you to ask, as I give these three statements, isn't this the way I want to be treated? Isn't this the way I want to be loved? So the first is this. Love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. That when there's a dilemma and there's a discrepancy between what was promised and what actually happened, love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. The second thing is love looks for the most, and I love this, the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. That all of a sudden there's a gap between what was promised and what actually happened. They didn't deliver on what they said that they would do. Real love says, before I jump to conclusions about their character or their commitment, what are some other possibilities? Love immediately says, uh, looks for the most generous explanation. The third statement is this, that love chooses trust over suspicion. Love chooses trust 
And if you're somebody that's been hurt or burned in the past, it's so difficult to not be suspicious. Love chooses trust over suspicion. So I'll illustrate it this way. In every relationship, there are expectations, whether it's a dating relationship, a marriage, a parent-child relationship, a work relationship. So it's at home with school or your neighbors, uh, whatever, any type of relationship, there are expectations. And then there's what we actually experience. And, you know, here's what you said you would do, but here's what I experienced you actually doing or not doing. Here's what time you said you would be home. Here's the time you actually arrived home. This is what time you actually got home. Here's, here's what you said about this project, but here's what you actually did that did not meet up to what we agreed to on this project. So here's the part that fell apart. And, and sometimes there is a gap between what we expect and what we experience. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, I hope you'll pause just long enough to let this drill into your mind and your heart, this one simple truth, that when there is a gap, we choose what goes in that gap, not the other person. You can see in the midst of the experience, especially if emotions are high and there's emotions involved, we go, no, 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 they chose what goes in the, in the, what goes in the gap. Because they said this, but then they didn't do it. So they have forced me to choose what goes in the gap. They have forced me to assume the worst, but they have not forced you. They can't force you to do anything. We choose what goes in that gap. We choose to assume the worst, which is why the Apostle Paul says when it comes to love, when it comes to the love that Christ has called us to, trust, when it comes to this bedrock of great relationships, friendships, dating, marriage, work, whatever, you need to understand love does everything it can to protect the relationship. So love goes out of its way to believe the best when it comes to what I expect and what I experience. Because there are gaps in every relationship. If you're raising kids or you're about to raise kids, there are going to be gaps. Like I've talked to that kid a hundred times about that clean room and it's not in a clean bathroom uh, or, or you're married. Like we've, you've talked about the budget a hundred times you've made, uh, and you've talked about time commitments that each or both of you make. You're like, we agreed that we're going to do this, but it's not happening. So there is a gap. I thought we agreed that we're only going to spend this much money or go on this kind of vacation and you're, uh, that you're not going to spend any time with him or with her because we both agreed that they're kind of a bad influence. But then I saw you're out having a beer with them. There's gaps at home. There's gaps at work. You agree with a coworker on a project on this mutual idea and suddenly they're taking credit for your idea and you agree maybe with a boss or a supervisor on work hours, but, but then suddenly they change the terms. And, and, and then nationally, it's a sport. I mean, especially right now in talking about politics and just assuming the worst about the other side, right? Because if you're Republican, you think Democrats are all idiots and crooked. And if you're Democrat, you think all Republicans are idiots and racist. But Paul says, Paul says, no, no, love always. Love always is looking for an opportunity to believe the best and not assume the worst. In fact, research has shown, especially when it comes to marriage, that the best, most healthy, and thriving relationships, they go to ridiculous extremes to believe the best. In other words, all the research shows what Paul said 2,000 years ago is exactly right. 
that the best, most healthy and thriving relationships, they believe all things. They protect the relationship at all cost. They endure all things, always trust that in fact, that love in essence is in fact blind. And at the end of the day, I'm just telling you, there's nothing to be gained. There's nothing to be gained by refusing to trust. And here's why. Suspicion is an expression of rejection. If, 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 if you feel like I'm suspicious of everything that you're doing, and I'm constantly asking why, why did you sit next to her, why did you sit next to him, why did you call him, why did you text her, why didn't you come to me first, why didn't you tell me, why isn't this done yet, why, 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 when you, when you feel that I'm suspicious of you, you receive that as rejection. And what do we do when we feel rejected by someone else? We pull back. We build walls. We don't open up. We close down because God designed you and I to be acceptance magnets. You and I are drawn to environments and relationships where we feel accepted. I mean, we absolutely see this when, when we're in our teenage years, right? And we've all experienced this in our life, that when someone is suspicious of us, it communicates rejection. And so we push away. And we create distance. So consequently, when you choose to assume the worst with someone you're in a relationship with, even if you're right, even if you've got a long list as to why you should assume the worst, anytime you communicate, I don't trust you, that begins to close the relationship down. You're no longer protecting and enduring at all costs. You're no longer uh, bending like love bends. And Jesus shows us, Paul tells us, this is an extraordinary powerful thing to look at someone and go, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. Now I know you're thinking, you know, Chad, if I could come up and tell my sad story, or if you could start typing in the comments and tell us your sad story, it, you know, it would just ruin your whole stupid sermon. And listen, we've got all of these extreme stories. We all do. And I'm going to address that in just a minute, but I don't want you to lose sight of this one thing, that no matter how bad, no matter how bad or how wide the gap or how consistently there's a gap, it is in your power and mine to choose what we put in that gap between what we expect and what we experience. And the best chance, your best chance, my best chance to bringing healing to a relationship, restoring a relationship, building a relationship, making a relationship stronger, is to always believe the best. I've never heard anyone go, you know what, at work things were just so tense, and finally one day he just walked in my office and said, you know what, I just don't trust you. And after that, things have been so much better. We've just gotten along, or our marriage, we were just at each other's throats, and finally she just in anger said, I just don't trust you. And after things got, things just got so much more romantic and better between us. I mean, that story never been told. Because that's not how it works. Even when you're justified, if you communicate, I don't trust you, it begins to shut down the relationship. And even if you go like, well, they started it or they did this, I'm just telling you, it begins to shut down the relationship. Rather than build it up, it ruins any chance of healing because suspicion and lack of trust is rejection and we all flee from rejection. So Paul says, look, this sounds extreme. It doesn't even sound practical. But even in the most difficult of relationships, bend. Do everything within your power to communicate, I trust you. Now, 
let's just be real. What do you do when you can't? I mean, what happens when it's just over and over and over and the gap gets wider and wider and wider and it's just simply uh, this. When you can't choose to trust, you have to choose to confront. When it's just like, okay, I've bent all I can bend. I'm about to break. Jesus himself said there comes a time eventually in a relationship where you need to confront. confront. In fact, it's, I think it's the only one time in Scripture where he actually gives you first step, second step, third step. So he actually gives us this, uh, this, the way to do it. Because, but the problem is, is we don't confront. We gossip, right? We don't talk to, we talk about to other people. And, and even if you don't talk about, you have imaginary conversations in your head, like, I told that kid a hundred times, or I told my husband, if he does this again, and that, they, everybody gets to the dinner table, it's like, happy face, happy face, and you're like, what's wrong? Nothing. I don't know. What's wrong? Nothing. And why are they asking what's wrong? Because when you're suspicious or when you're assuming the worst, that gets telegraphed, okay? You can't hide that. And so it's like, you know, what, what's wrong? Nothing, really? No, nothing's wrong. But then the earth begins to shake and the paint starts to peel off the wall. It's like, okay, I'll tell you what's wrong. And it's like, boom, and they drop this atom bomb on there. I'll tell you what's wrong. But you know what Jesus taught? And you know what some of us have learned the hard way? The moment there's a gap we need to go have a conversation. Because some of us, we had that gap and we made assumptions and we didn't, and we, and we didn't have the conversation. What did we do? We made things worse. So the moment there's a gap, have a conversation. Here's how. This is just confrontation 101. Ask for an explanation assuming there's a good one. Ask for an explanation assuming that there's a good one. I, I'm just asking a question. I'm not questioning Okay, I'm just asking because I, I want to know or I need to know, but I just need you to know. I'm assuming the best. Uh, rather than just make up some story in my head to explain your behavior, I'm assuming the best. I just want to hear your explanation. I'm going to assume it's, I'm assuming it's a good one. I mean, you're an hour late. I'm just assuming there was an accident or something unexpected out of your control uh, came up. I'm assuming the best. I'm asking you uh, for an explanation. That, that's what Jesus-like confrontation looks like. And in so doing, you are communicating, I want to keep this door open. This relationship is important to me. I'm believing the best, not assuming the worst. And, and when I don't know, instead of having this imaginary conversation in my head uh, with you and being mad, instead of gossiping, I'm, I'm going to confront you. But, but from a posture of, I'm already giving you the benefit of the doubt. And now some of you are thinking, you know, Chad, I'm, I'm, I'm not a confronter. Well, the good news is you're, you're in the majority. Only about 7% of the population of the world like, likes, converse, uh, likes confrontation. I mean, have you ever been confronted by someone who likes confrontation? Like how great of an experience is that? Like, you know, like they're bringing an attorney and three witnesses and they've got like notes and red lines. It's, it's just not a happy time. Uh, but the thing is, you can't hide behind the fact that you're not a confronter or you don't like confrontation. Or don't like conflict. Because if you let things stew and simmer and build, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's another gap and it gets bigger. Another gap, it gets bigger. And, and you never confront. And eventually, something's going to give. And it's going to be ugly. And let's just be honest. I mean, let's just turn this around. 
Let's say you're on the other side, and all of us have experienced this. Let's imagine somebody in your life, in your relationships, and at home or at work, and, and, and they're, uh, they're sitting there thinking, I don't understand. Why did this happen? They said this, but did, don't you want them to just come ask you? So we need to do this as well. In fact, for some of us, let's just be honest too, when we finally do work up the courage to confront someone, and they give us their explanation, we go, oh, I didn't know that. Well, it's good. You didn't ask. It's like, that just changes everything. I should have asked sooner. Now, as I've shared before, we're part of this awesome network of churches that's connected to uh, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, uh, about 100 churches. And because a church is no better than the quality of our relationships uh, that, and the trust that we have with each other, there's actually, uh, they actually ask leaders and staff to make five commitments in this area. And these five commitments really should be reflected in every relationship, whether it's work or home or family or nationally, and here they are. The number, the number one commitment is that when there's a gap between what I expected and what I experienced, I'm going to believe the best. That I'm pre-deciding that when you disappoint me, and we are going to disappoint each other, I'm just pre-deciding that I'm going to give a generous explanation for your behavior when you don't come through. And you said this, but it turned out to be that. Whatever it is, I'm just pre-deciding that I'm going to assume the best. The second thing is when other people assume the worst about you, I'm going to come to your defense. In other words, when you create a gap with someone else at home or in the workplace or our circle of friends, and they're just, nah, 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 I'm going to come to your defense. I'm going to say, whoa. You know, before you assume that, assume it's that, why don't you Maybe it's this. Maybe there's another explanation. I mean, it, it might, be, might be this. Why are you assuming the worst about her? Why, why don't you just believe the best? And, and now here's where you can practice this, especially right now. Uh, if you're a Republican and you're with all of your Republican friends and family and they're together or they're on social media going, nah, 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 all the stupid Democrats, or you're a Democrat, nah, 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 all the stupid Republicans, uh, you just go ahead and insert yourself and you go, well, there might be another explanation. Now, just be forewarned, they, they may ostracize you. They may kick you out of the family, okay? You may have to become an independent. Uh, I don't know, but uh, as difficult as all this is, I'm just saying that if, in your life, if people start yickety-yacking about someone that you know, you step in and go, hey, there might be another explanation. What a wonderful commitment to make in work, at home. And imagine if people had that full commitment to you, that until the facts say otherwise, I'm coming to your defense. The third commitment is this. If what I experience begins to erode my trust, I'm coming directly to you. As uncomfortable as it may be for my temperament or my personality to ask this, but, but this happened and it's impacting my trust in you, so I'm coming directly to you. The fourth is that when, when I'm convinced uh, that I'm not going to be able to deliver on a promise, I'll tell you ahead of time. That when you realize you're about to create a gap with someone else, that you don't wait. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. You're not going to have to sit there wondering, you know, did they forget what's going on? I'm going to let you know. And the last one is that when you confront me about the gaps that I've created, I'm going to own it and I'm going to tell you the truth. See, the best way to discover whether someone is trustworthy is to trust them. The best way, ironically, to turn someone who is trustworthy into someone who is not trustworthy is to not trust them. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
And I've sadly seen this more times than I can count, especially in romantic relationships and in marriages. But when you look, but when you look at the other person and go, listen, I want you to know, I want to trust you. What the average person feels in response to that is, well, I, I want to be trusted to you. I, I want by you. I, I want to be trustworthy. I want to be worthy of that trust and what you feel towards me. And I'm just telling you that even if you feel like what they've done is just created this huge gap in trust, I'm telling you, Paul's principle, Jesus' principle is so powerful. It doesn't matter how big or painful the deal. And I'm telling you, if you're in the worst situation and you look at this person and say, in spite of this gap and what it created, I want to get to a place that I trust you. I'm telling you, that is the most direct route to discovering whether or not he or she is actually and ultimately trustworthy. And so this is so extreme. And so here's just how I want to wrap up. I want to ask you a couple of questions. And the first one is this. If you would say, you know, I'm the kind of person who I just have a difficult time trusting people in general, and you have good reason. Okay, if you gave me your reason, I'd go like, ah, I, I totally get it. But something in your past or your childhood or a previous relationship, a previous marriage, previous employer, you just have a hard time trusting people. Here is your first simple step to beginning to overcome that. And you can do it today. And it's very simple. And when I say it, it's going to sound dumb. You're going to think it sounds silly. But I just want you to do it. And then when you do it, you'll realize I am not as dumb as I look. Uh, but at some point today, when you're alone, in your car or at home, uh, maybe in the, the bathroom or the bedroom, wherever you can go, close the door, just be alone. If you feel like you're one of those people that you would just say, generally speaking, I have difficulty uh, trusting other people, I want you to say this out loud three times. There's no place like home. No, uh, what I want you to say is, I have a hard time trusting people. I have a hard time trusting people. I, I have a hard time trusting people. And even just by speaking it out loud will help you to begin to get a grip on it and get a hold of it. And it's just like, you know what? I feel like these gaps with people that I have with people, and they're because of gaps I've experienced with other people in my life, people I trusted or thought I could trust or should have been able to trust. And as a result, I just think the world is full of untrustworthy people. I have a hard time trusting people. And when you realize and embrace that in general, I have a hard time trusting people, then you can begin to decide, you know what? If, if, if as a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower, I'm going to begin to do and apply what does not come natural, which is not intuitive to me. I'm going to begin to choose to believe the best, even though I have a hard time trusting people. Now, for the rest of us, you're very trusting. I mean, I know some of you, like you, like you just trust everybody. You'll pick up hitchhikers. Uh, you just trust about everybody. But there's that one person. He's related to you, or she's related to you, or you work with them, or you're in class with them, and there's just, there's just something about them. There's just something that's like, you know what, uh, I don't know, they're just kind of shifty, or they seem like they're whispering, and then I walk by, and suddenly they shut up, and something, I just don't trust him, I just don't trust her. So there is this gap. If you're a Christian, we have to lean into this. What can you do? 
to begin to break that cycle of mistrust between you and that other person. And see, your first response is like, I can't do anything. Well, if they would just become a more trustworthy person or if they would stop, if they would just act more trustworthy or quit acting that way or quit looking at me or quit sitting next to my wife or quit texting my girlfriend or whatever it is, if they, if they, then I, then I. Paul, Jesus would say, it's time to have a conversation. Maybe sit down with that person and go, look, this is awkward, but I want to trust you. And right now I'm, I'm just kind of struggling. And, and, and I don't care how evil or she, evil he or she is, just that sentence that I want to trust you, I'm just telling you if there's any potential for hope, that's it. Now, if you forget any of this, which you're going to, uh, I'll just summarize it with this brilliant insight that Jesus gives us that I touched on just earlier about all relationships. When there's a gap, it's just simply this. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So, when you create a gap, what do you want people to do? Do you want them to assume the worst like so many do? I saw what you posted on social media, or I saw you said this, or you didn't follow through, or you said this, but you did this, and like, I've got this gap. Do you want them to assume the worst like so many do? And then you feel judged and rejected? Or do you want them to assume the best? Do you want them to assume the best and then come directly to you? Well, of course you do. So mix Jesus and Paul together. It's just this simple. When there's a gap, you extend to them not what you think they deserve, but you extend to them exactly what you would want extended to you, the gift of trust. And If you do, you'll be better. Your relationships will be better. The, the, the doors on even the most difficult relationships will stay open simply because you choose to trust. Let's pray. Father, you are, are so good. And uh, God, I, I know that every one of us, we carry some wounds from the past where we, we trusted and that trust got betrayed. And some of us, especially with uh, more birthdays celebrated, we've experienced this more, and, you know, and God, the walls can just get thicker. So I pray for all of us. We're all in this same boat. That God, you would truly help us to overcome our distrust of people so that we could actually be open to the kinds of relationships that you truly desire for us. And God, I pray that you would guard our hearts and minds in discerning that there are people that cannot be trusted, but the majority of people can. Not that they won't ever let us down, but God, we're not going to be able to do this without your help. We're not going to be able to do this without the strength of your spirit. And Father, I know that there are those that are listening to my voice right now that carry deep pain, and this is a big deal. And I pray, God, that you would show up in a very tangible way in their heart and their mind and begin to heal that and heal the ways it's affected relationships around them with their people they love the most. God, I ask this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.